0: We want all our colleagues to feel that they can be their best self at Booths. Being confident that we can all embrace our differences, whatever they are, and bring our true selves to work every day is an essential element to achieving this. Over the next few months the Culture Club will be talking to colleagues about their own personal stories, celebrating our differences and hopefully learning from each other on the way. it's Helen Crossley here and I'm going to be talking to Nigel Murray, um, our COO, about his recent physical and mental challenge, completing the Tour 21 and what he and we can learn from it. Nigel.
1: Helen, how are
0: you? Hi, I'm fine, thank you. How are you?
1: Very well, thank you very much.
0: Um, Just firstly, before we start, I just want to say thanks for um, joining us today and Agreeing to share your somewhat epic story over the last few weeks,
1: that's my pleasure
0: good um so just a few questions um first question I think um really, we kind of need to know what what is it um that kind of got you into the event and how did you come to be involved in something so unusual i hadn't I hadn't really heard about it until you mentioned you were going on it
1: um so it goes back about three or four years um and uh, through a mutual friend, uh, I got in touch or got connected to a guy who had just cycled um, the three cycling grand tours: that's um, Italy, uh, France, and and Spain. And he'd done that along with a, a group of three others, and they were raising money for a charity called Cure Leukemia. And as a way of raising money, um, Hayden Groves, who who was the the person I became kind of uh, got in touch with. Um, He's he's a chef. Um, he was voted uh, chef of the year in two thousand thirteen. But he wrote a kind of a combined cookery stroke travelogue uh, to to raise money. Uh, that was one of his ways of raising money. And um, I kind of saw this and saw that he was starting to kind of um, you know do the PR and marketing after they'd done the the three the three tours. And um, I got in touch with him and um, we we ended up buying some and selling them through the stores. Um, and uh, Hayden also came up to Ilkley to do a uh kind of a uh A Q&A thing in the um in the cafe area and then he did some cooking for us in the store the day after so we kind of you know in a small way helped him to to launch his his cookbook which is still probably the most oft used in the murray household i have to say it's absolutely brilliant um so so that's how i kind of became aware of um cure leukemia and the fact that they liked to do uh kind of big cycle rides to raise money and, and awareness for that charity um yeah. I guess I also got to hear them firsthand about the experiences of one of their lead patrons, a guy called Jeff Thomas, right. who's um, uh, an ex-professional footballer, played at, uh, at England level. Um, and shortly after Jeff kind of hung his boots up as a pro, um, he contracted uh, blood cancer and um, basically received treatment, including a stem cell transplant, uh, lots and lots of chemo and all sorts of other Nasty but important stuff, and, and ultimately um, uh, kind of uh, recovered from from the uh, the illness from the disease and literally six months after he'd had his last chemo session, he found himself riding the Tour de france route, uh, which was back in two thousand and five, and that was his first kind of event of this nature and uh, this year was uh, was jeff's uh, fifth. Wow. Uh, tour de france and seventh grand tour because he was also one of the ones that did the three tours in two two thousand two, 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 seventeen. 2017
0: when he did it the first time was that more was it um was it you know a, a big organized event or had he just done it on his own or
1: no it was uh, i wouldn't say it was having read about it and talked to him about it uh you wouldn't class it as a big organized event uh they did have kind of support people but there were only i think four or five who who rode the majority of it um and, um, you know, there were lots of stories about taking the wrong turns, going in the wrong direction, cycling for, you know, an hour more than they needed to. Um, so, yeah, it was um, it was just it was put together by a very, very small team of people with a, you know, at the time, I'm sure it felt significant, but a fairly modest kind of uh, fundraising total as well. So that was the uh, that was the first time they did it. So, uh, yeah, certainly nothing like uh, we uh, had the um the benefit of this time around which I'm I'm sure we'll get on to
0: yeah because um you know that was one of the things that again took me a bit by surprise and knowing you were doing this tour thing I didn't quite realize really the scale of the event and it's probably (laughs) my lack of knowledge of, of cycling but the amount of preparation the support vehicles that whole network that's around you when you did it um it's quite amazing
1: yeah, and, and you and me both, neither did I. Um, and I. And I think one of the common things that I keep coming across is I really didn't know what I'd signed up for or what, or what to expect until until it happened. So I was kind of scrolling down some, some stats about what the support looked like. You know, we, we stayed in 22 hotels across 25 days. We obviously used two ferries to get to and from France. We had a big bus. We had three support cars, three support motorcycles, two support vans, a team of about 20 support crew. Uh, which included a four-person film crew that were with us throughout, two sports therapists, two ladies who lunched, and that was Carol and Sue, and they were ladies who made us lunch every day and were awesome and did did, did the laundry and stuff and just generally looked after us all the way through. They were brilliant. Um, We had four kind of event support people, mechanics and things like that, a photographer, a bus driver, of course, and then we had four ride captains who basically, uh, with one or two interesting detours, um, made sure that we were safe and we went... um, We went the right way and then of course there were 18 people riding bikes and raising money so um it was it was a pretty big affair and and in fact we we bumped into the um the INEOS team so previously team Sky now team INEOS so um they're kind of the the, uh, one of the big big kind of uh, professional teams and we bumped into them on one of the stages and you know with, with a few small um kind of differences you know their setup was very very similar to ours so I think in terms of getting a feel of, of a pro cycling team and how they're supported it was as close as we'd ever get to that so it was absolutely fantastic and and the charity you know were, were, were a big big part of, of putting that together as were the organisers who were an outfit called Andy Cook Cycling who have their kind of heritage in British cycling so they know all about this sort of stuff.
0: So I mean again you know sounds like like an absolute dream come true for someone who's passionate about cycling but like what personally what exactly did it mean to you to take part? What made you um, kind of go for it in the end? Because it is a big undertaking.
1: Yeah, I think um there are a number of reasons. I mean what, what 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 I don't have like some of the others is the is is a kind of really direct, kind of personal reason for supporting cure leukemia. Um in actual I had I had an uncle who passed away after having suffered from myeloma, which is a type of blood cancer, but um yeah, I didn't I didn't have the same kind of level of kind of inspiration from very, very close family members or even individuals. So I've talked about Jeff. He he was a he's a cancer survivor. Mm-hmm. There was another chap, um, a, a, a PhD um who was a cancer survivor. There was a guy who rode with his dad's photograph on his psych on his bicycle stem because his dad died of blood cancer. So there was some there were some people there with very, very close, very kind of acute kind of uh, reasons to, to, to take to take part in the event and raise money for blood cancer. I, I didn't have that. I think what I wanted to do, and it's very very similar to, to the work we did with, with mind and, and, and mental health just a year or so ago. I, I don't think there needs to be a kind of a, a prescriptive cause that you you, you do good for. I, I think there are so many opportunities to support, you know, worthy causes that mm-hmm. it's just about choosing one um and i'll be very honest the fact that cure leukemia uh, allowed me to you know raise help do my bit to raise funds and awareness for them as a charity and, and their cause aligned to my love of riding bicycles mm-hmm. um putting those two together is is an incredibly powerful thing so where you can kind of invest yourself and you know, and, and, uh, and do the best by others. I don't necessarily think you have to have a kind of a deep personal reason for supporting charities. So for me, raising money and raising awareness for that cause, you know, um, was, was the driving force and, and to be a difference for them, yeah. uh, and to do my bit. And, you know, we, we did, you know, myself and, and the rest of the kind of the extended boost from gosh, we did more than our bit. And there's you know, just an incredible amount of money raised. So that, that was the first one. Um, because I do class myself as being extremely fortunate in life, extremely privileged. Um, you know, I had a good upbringing. I didn't really need or want for much, um, albeit I've worked hard. And and for a number of years now, I've tried to do as much as I can to give back in, in various different ways. And this would be one of those ways. Um, I also wanted to see kind of how far I could push myself. Mm-hmm. So because it's a massive endurance event, um, it was something I wanted to see just you know, how resilient actually am I? I I've always classed myself as being pretty resilient pretty hardy you know um I kind of don't go fast but I keep on going kind of thing I know it's something I've, I've said before so that kind of you know constant effort and constant grind uh, is something that I've prided myself on uh so I wanted to really put that to the test I wanted to see what I could cope with and this isn't just from just a physical point of view it's it's, it's more so from a um, uh, kind of a a, a mental uh, or a soulful point of view mm. so that was the second bit and then probably the third bit was was a very personal thing which is um, I wanted to get some downtime I wanted to take some time away um, the last 10 years of, of my working life have been absolutely full-on that mm. you know the five or so years at, at booze I think you know, well documented within the business are you know the challenges we faced and With you know Edwin and and, and Ross and the rest of the executive team and the broader team, we've we've all worked really really hard to get the business back to where it should be. But I had a very very similar experience uh, at a slightly different level when I was with Greg's as well. So the last two to ten years, as I say, have been absolutely nonstop, full on. And add to that the kind of um, the time in the business since COVID came along, probably just magnifies that somewhat as well. So I was I was ready for a good break, and this seemed to be a really good way of being able to take that break but also use that time to do something something meaningful as well.
0: Oh, sorry, I'm laughing slightly there because I don't think there's many of us that will class three weeks doing the Tour de France-style uh, cycling as a break. But, uh, <laughs> 20...
1: Well, the change is as good as a rest, yeah, yeah, Something if like that.
0: Boat, uh, so, so from that moment when you've thought, right, okay, and said potentially, I mean, there must be a point where you've gone, gone oh, should I do it, should I do it, but then at some point committed – um which i'm sure probably made you feel a bit sick and scared i don't know i don't know what 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 do you do then to try and get in shape physically and mentally (laughs) for something when you don't even know how challenging it's going to be fully Uh,
1: i think you just start um is is the first thing um you've just you've just got to start one way or the other i mean we you know the, the 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 easiest thing of all in terms of preparation was to think about the physical requirements so you know, one of the things, once I'd spoken to Mrs. Murray and, and Mr. Booth and got the, the green light from both, you know, the first thing I did was to sit, well, basically was to stand on some scales and weigh myself and then had a look at kind of what uh, level of weight I would probably need to be at, what level of, um, so in cycling, they talk about wattage and power. Yeah. So it, it, the, 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 the main kind of the, the headline kind of, measure if you will is, is how much power you can put out for, for for the weight you are so what watts to kilo they call it yes um so you know the more watts is great but if if you're if you're a big boy like me you're you know six foot two and i was 100 kilos when i started training you need a lot more power than somebody that's five foot two and 60 kilos so it's it's all about the balance between between power and weight so i basically set myself some um some targets which was to by the time we set off to go to france i wanted to be able to uh, the, the the basically you can do a test which tells you what your, your kind of wattage is but i wanted to be able to deliver 300 watts and i wanted to be 85 kilos and those were the two kind of key objectives that i laid down um going into training and then it was just a case of researching talking to people that some of the other riders were great because some of them are involved in in sports science uh, one particularly within cycling um, so listen to them had a chat with them shared some kind of uh, some notes and things so but you generally you generally built your own training plan, plan. but it, it basically meant riding a huge amount obviously um, and lots of that was indoors because it was kind of winter time uh, it's really boring um, wow, it's gonna, staring staring at the side of the garage wall yeah. um, so by the time I finished I had a tv set up in there I had music in there and even that it just honestly it's just relentlessly whatever you're doing um uh, because i didn't start riding a bike to do it in my garage i started you know riding a road bike so i can get out and see the countryside and you know taking the great outdoors and it's as good it's as good for your mental health as it is your physical health just that feeling of being out and about and, and and you know, kind of in amongst nature but um so yeah, so, so you yeah, know lots and lots and lots and lots of, of riding as you would expect. Um, so
0: every night, do you like? Were you um, doing it for hours? It,
1: yeah, so probably five five out of seven, something like that. Moving up to six out of seven uh, in terms of days of the week, and then you would generally kind of have three fairly full on weeks, and then and then drop down for a week just to give you your you, your muscles and your body a chance to recover somewhat, and then and then go again. So it, it just constantly built up along the way um, in terms of. How much power you were putting out? How much time you were spending on the bike? So if I go right back to the start, I was probably doing about six or seven hours a week, something like that. But come I don't know April May time, that was up at kind of fifteen to twenty hours a week. So so finding that time in itself was was mm-hmm. really tough. And and as I say, the the getting the ready for the physical bit was was pretty easy. Uh, understanding the consequences of what i would taken on both on the family but also all the time around kind of fundraising and things it uh that was the bit i really did kind of un- underestimated uh from from a physical point of view the other things were i started pilates uh which is which is hilarious i have yeah. to say uh, i'm just terrible at it and <laughs> I, f- I just fall over all the time and unfortunately isabel my daughter and i uh, and, and it's obviously genetic we share the same problem we've just got no balance whatsoever we 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 can walk into the doorway. You know, if you if you give us a five foot five five foot wide doorway, one of us will walk into the side of it as we go through it. It's just it's just an affliction we have. So yeah, Pilates and me don't mix. But it's it's something I became um, quite fond of actually, and, um, helps. and it helps massively because it's not just about your legs; it's about you know your entire body and making sure that when you're sitting, kind of hunched over. A, set of handlebars for eight or nine hours a day for three weeks you know you, you rest the rest of your body's got to be in fairly decent shape as That's well
0: tough on your neck and back think, yeah exactly then.
1: exactly and all that core yeah. development helps you to helps you to manage your um, particularly your spine and your, and your neck as you say and then diet was the other one so didn't do anything dramatic um i drank less beer i probably drank more wine it's less calorific per volume um I, I ate at different times of the day which i think is, is something that, that stuck with me so i worked out i was eating far too late in the day generally so started to have kind of you know bigger breakfasts slightly bigger lunches and much smaller dinner tea uh kind of meals and then tried to reduce the amount of carbohydrates i took in and and tried to focus more on protein and and kind of good fats as well um Whereas when we got to the event it was all about carbohydrate when you get to the event so your, your diet changes pretty fundamentally from one day to the next when you start this thing so
0: gosh and then mentally then where, where did you you know were you on a bit of a roller coaster or did you stay focused or
1: um i think I think beforehand I mean we've kind of touched on it you know i I kind of didn't know what I'd signed up for and and it was a bit impetuous in a way because whilst I spoke to you know, a few people, all I had in my mind's eye was, you know, gently rolling through the beautiful vineyards of France with the sun shining. <laughs> Seriously, in.
0: did you? Yeah, did that's you?
1: all I had in my mind. That's all I was thinking <laughs> of. That's all it meant to me. You know, is a, and um, so, yeah, I, I probably didn't I probably didn't do the due diligence um, <laughs> it, 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 justice it in a way. Um, but I think as you were going through it, you know, as, as I sort of talked to people and, and other people that had done other kinds of different um endurance events so I've got some friends uh, around here in Harrogate who who do kind of these ironman triathlons and and um kind of ultra marathons and things and uh kind of spoke to them about various stuff and and i think you you know the one thing that came through was that you you need to prepare your mind as much as you need yeah. to prepare your body and so I kind of got into myself a habit of just trying to convince myself just how ridiculously tough it was going to be i absolutely no idea how that toughness would play out but also tried to get myself into a position where I kind of expected myself to fail right. uh, in, 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 and just try and make it worse than it was actually possibly going going to be. And I think my kind of chief concern was about not being able to to keep up. Um, you know, there's there's 17 other riders. Um, as you kind of get to know them and you start sharing kind of training statistics online, you know, there's all these kind of apps and stuff which allow you to do that. And you see it, some of the kind of stuff they were they were putting out. You are thinking, oh my goodness me, Welcome. what what have I done? I'm in I'm in trouble here even before I get there, sort of thing. I remember getting onto the ferry, and that's when we were all together for the first time.
0: By the time you're on the ferry,
1: put in, it's, it's, it's all definitely too late. And and I was just obsessed with with the carbs of other men, because <laughs> just just have a look at the den. I'm thinking, mine don't look at anything like that. And these guys are like you know chiselled out of granite, and thinking, oh no, what's yeah the worst thing for me would be to hold people up i hate being late at the best of times even though i am quite often i don't like it but holding others up and and kind of you know impacting their experience would just be the worst thing for me possible um so yeah so yeah those those were all things that you know could have affected kind of my my mental state I, i guess so those were the things i was i was i was trying to get ready for so
0: it's interesting that you're saying about that. You know, you'd almost decide. Did, did you say you'd almost decided that you might not achieve it, or was that yeah? To it was oh, it's a strange
1: a one. It was, yeah, it's yeah, strange. I kind of, kind of, um, almost reverse psychology, I suppose. Yeah. Just, just telling myself that I, I wasn't going to do this, and and then almost getting myself into a position where I was going to prove myself wrong. Because <laughs> I think that's one thing. Because I'm, I'm quite introverted as a character. I do get my energy, my my strength from myself generally. Yeah. So I, I'm my biggest competition, always have been. I don't, I don't know why that is. I have to go into some kind of deep, dark questioning to, get under, to understand that, I suppose. But, but for me to go up against anyone, yeah, I'm not competitive necessarily with other people, but I am incredibly competitive with myself because I always want to do better. I always want to do better than, I think, what I give myself credit for. So I think, I think there's possibly something around kind of lack yeah. of conf- inner confidence in there somehow. So,
0: so by telling yourself that you weren't going to, yeah. to achieve you yeah, I was exactly. It it's,
1: al- it's almost like the good angel and the bad angel on the yeah, yes. shoulder, sort of the, thing. And so.
0: deciding which voice it is that you're listening to. Exactly. Exactly. That, yeah. Yeah. So, so before the event, there would you say that your biggest challenge is that voice in your head, or, or were there um, other challenges that you found difficult to overcome?
1: Yeah, I mean, I suppose, I suppose that that at that stage before we went, it, I wouldn't say that was a challenge. It was more a, a kind of a preparatory thing. I think that the challenges beforehand were. Um. Were probably i suppose the thing that i i really did find difficult was this kind of i'd called it kind of charity takeover the whole thing was just absolutely relentless full on so we obviously had the the you know the tour booths going on as well which is all a big part of of, of raising money and, and and awareness there's obviously a job to do you know there's a supermarket business to run <laughs> um and then there were things like communications and diaries to write and there's the training to do and then probably the biggest Uh, difficulty i found was just the amount of impact it had on family and family time so really simply obviously you know i'm I'm, many people in the business will recognize my backdrop which is you know shelves with books on in the study here it was this this was my existence during the day and then my existence either before or after that was in the garage and then you know family hardly saw me so you know, one of the things that I hadn't realised is just what impact it would have on on the amount of time. And I'd say, seeing my wife and the kids; they're just absolutely brilliant and didn't complain once. They were they were only supportive. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'll be forever grateful to them for that because um, because that must have been really really tough for them. And I was feeling guilty all the way through about it, but uh,
0: yeah, but I had to is- do what I had to do. So. I think when you look at, you know, some of the Olympians and, you know, anyone who's competing at that level, it isn't just about that person, is it? It is the the families behind them. No, you're right. Uh, Yeah,
1: absolutely right. And, you you know, I think what they've done really well this time, and we we, we watched a load of it on the kind of highlights, and they've had kind of um, footage of the families watching their, you know, brothers, sisters, sons, daughters, whatever it might be. And it's easy to think all they're doing is cheering on, you know, the athlete, but... But they can't be. They've got to be cheering themselves on as well yeah. because they have all played just a massive part. And the number of the athletes that come out, and you know, the first people they thank are the people back at home. They know the, you know, the sacrifices they've made as a sports person. But they also equally know the sacrifices that family and friends have made as well. And it, and it's massive. And and until you've been through kind of a big, I'm not trying to liken myself to an Olympic athlete. Please, I would not Dare to do that, but having gone through something that's required a certain amount of preparation, a certain over amount a of kind of investment period. over a long period of time, mm-hmm. friends and family, those support people, just absolutely incredibly important. And you cannot do it without them no. and without their, you know, their positive support.
0: Yeah, uh, just, you know, just keeping everything uh, going in the background while you kind of absolutely, of absolutely,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, simple things, uh, Ellen. I, I didn't walk the dog for about three and a half months, oh, or something oh, like God. that. Yeah, Sue did all, and it doesn't sound like a lot. No, it is. But but when it's oh, that extra kind of half an hour so, at the end yeah, of the day that so, maybe so. I would usually do. It, yeah. it, you know, all those little things, I think you know hardly cooked in the kitchen. Um, You know, Sue's been doing all the garden. She's doing all the stuff that, you know, usually I would play my part in.
0: It was the entirely down
1: to her. And okay. she never, never grumbled once, which is oh. just, just exceptional. So,
0: amazing. Um, And yeah, and I'm sure without them, you wouldn't, you wouldn't probably have got to the event itself. No,
1: no, no, definitely not.
0: So, so now you are there though. um, Tell us about the, the event. Um, You know, we, we were following you, you know, from what they were putting on Instagram and, and some of the Facebook posts. And I, I mean, just mind blowing some of it. I don't know how you did it, but, but talk us through, you know, some of the, the key points in the, the whole journey there.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of, um, talk about this and so you know the the event itself it's it's just a charity bike ride but but it's it's a charity bike ride with a bit of a difference in that it it obviously takes on one of the 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 toughest uh kind of courses toughest routes in 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 cycling so which is obviously tour de france route there are there are three grand tours in cycling one in italy one in france one in spain and they they basically um take place over 21 stages over three weeks for the professionals and and, and our task was to ride Exactly the same route as the professionals, uh, the professional men, uh in this year's Tour de France course. It was uh, whilst it wasn't as long as some have been, it was certainly tagged as being one of the the toughest uh in terms of the uh the parkour, the, the kind of the, the uh, not just the distance but the the level of elevation, the level of kind of up upward riding you do. Yeah. Um so uh, overall it was yeah, twenty-one days. Of riding a bike, three just short three and a half thousand kilometres, which I don't know what that is in miles oh, two thousand like, and something. Too many. Um and then uh forty kilometres of essentially vertical ascent. So mm-hmm. if you went straight up in a line, you'd you'd have to go up forty kilometers. Oh my God. Um and just to put that into context, Everest, Mount Everest is about nine kilometers high. So um obviously we didn't go up straight up, they they were kind of yeah, you know, there were gradients, but uh but nonetheless, uh riding a bike uphill. To any gradient, it can be can be incredibly difficult. So, um, so yeah, it was it was no small undertaking, um, and it was you know it was eighteen um, completely and utterly amateur bike riders who 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 did it. I mean, there were various different capabilities, various different ages as well. Um, one uh, amazing woman who completed the whole thing, and I just hope for the events in the you know coming years that more women do get involved because there's no reason not to um so uh, so yeah so we all set off uh, 18 of us from brest in uh in Brittany um on uh i can't remember what the date was now I think it was the 19th of june and um and ended up in paris on the 11th of july um after um yeah 20 odd days of of roller coasters of physical effort emotions and i think whatever i expected you know if I expected highs, I got more than I expected. If I expected lows, I got more than I expected, you know, at, at both sides of the spectrum. It was just, just kind of off the scale in terms of an, an experience. Um, it, the thing, one of the things I didn't particularly, um, think about at all beforehand was just the intensity of the whole mm-hmm. thing. So, you know, every day started at, I don't know, five thirty, six o'clock each day in the morning. Um, and for me, um, finished maybe at about midnight um, each day. So you have all these kind of apps and stuff that you use, and it'll say, oh, you need to get 14 hours of sleep. And, you you know, you've got a maximum of five hours in front of you. And, you know, then you'll switch your bike computer on in the morning and say, um, take a rest day for the next four days. And, you know, you've got 200 kilometers to ride there and then. And, and so, so they don't help. This technology doesn't help in that respect <laughs> at all.
0: I'm sure your so, body was telling you that you needed to sleep as my, well. My, my
1: body now. just wanted to throw the bike computer in the river, I think. Oh, yeah. 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 So, how, uh,
0: how do you even, I don't know if, how you would even function on five hours sleep after that and goes into the next day? And um, you, you were delirious half the time.
1: Yeah. Think? And um, absolutely. and And, you know, certainly the times when we were kind of, you know, you're going through the most physical strain, particularly when it was hot. Mm. And you were getting into a kind of one of the kind of into the middle or towards the end of one of the big blocks of activity. There were kind of three blocks um, that we had to do. You know, then absolutely whether it's delirium or some kind of uh, uh, I don't know, some hysteria probably yeah. k- kicking in, ha- hallucinating at times as well. Oh my God. Um, so yeah, all all of that happens, but at the same time, you you've got to keep mentally very very focused because. You know, even riding a bike uphill very slowly can be a dangerous thing. Um, particularly in the mountains where you've got, you know, very kind of low level walls between you and a pretty su- you know, substantial drop. And then the descents coming down off the mountains were just absolutely terrifying. Um so, You did
0: say before that you don't like heights and not
1: keen, no. <laughs> it was no, so close again
0: of activities you chose well there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I was surprised actually. It didn't bother me that much. I think I was I was, pro- I was probably more focused on just keeping going forward than I was necessarily about what was at the left or the right of me. So, uh, yeah, but, yeah, it's probably, probably not great for somebody who has a little bit of vertigo about them. So.
0: And, did because, you know, again, been, been to that, some of those parts of France and and you get um, – is there somebody ahead of you? Um, Stop, like, looking and when you're on the descents as well, because there's some speed that people go at. Who's is, is it all cleared, the area, or could you come across a uh, truck or –
1: Oh god, yeah, so I mean the the, the whole event was, was was kind of um it took place on open roads. So whereas the you know, the professionals get all the roads closed yeah. off for them. So unless something goes kind of um horribly wrong, you know, they know that, you know, there's gonna be nothing coming in the other direction. Um, what we did have in part of the support was we had a lead car, uh, kind of one of these uh, things with kind of red flashing light on the top, and then we had two two of the motorbikes from motorbike outriders who essentially managed managed the junctions for us. So one of the brilliant things was as you were going through any kind of junction or through a town or whatever, these two, these two motorcyclists uh, from a French uh, organization basically just stopping traffic. Yeah. So you just kind of, you know, hurtle on through as as part of the peloton. And so it was as close to rage to, to kind of riding as a, as a pro as you're going to get without the roads actually being closed. But kind of when it got to the mountains, everything, because that that's when people's riders capability really shows itself. When you start going uphill, you know, on the flat, you can pretty much stay as a group, uh, but as soon as it starts to pitch up, then then it really starts to spread out. So, in that sense, kind of the one t- the one car and the two the two motorbikes just stayed really with the front group, and the rest of us kind of made our own way. Which is which is where these ride captains came in, just to make sure that we're, yeah, a, we able were safe, but be, you know, we were going in the in the, in the right direction. But you know, go, going down the hills, you know, there would be times when you'd be completely on your own, or going up the hills, there are times when you'd be completely on your own. Um, so nothing necessarily to follow so you you just you just gotta ride your bike and 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 pick your own way down i think the the nearest i had to coming off the bike in the in the mountains was was going around a hairpin bend with um probably about twenty meters of visibility. the rain lashing down probably about an inch of water on the road the wind howling and the reason I nearly came off is I was going so slowly and and I almost came to a standstill and then got kind of blasted by this gust of wind and you know that nearly took me off um and uh, yeah so so some of the descents because of the weather conditions as well were just utterly terrifying and what you don't see on the tv is you you don't see those conditions particularly the wind in the mountains which can come at you from absolutely any direction and mm-hmm. you you know and you're on a few tubes of metal at the end of the day so
0: i did watch there was one um i can't remember the name of the um the mountain that you go up that you have to go up twice where I I did watch the video and everyone (laughs) it looks like the wind just looks unbelievable
1: yeah so that was Mont Ventoux and um and for any for any so um vent vent in in French is is wind so that gives you a that gives you a clue (laughs)
0: um
1: Mont Ventoux is in Provence and basically sits in the middle of a plain so there's there's nothing else there so basically it's just it just gets hammered from from every side and I think I'm right in saying this is that um, it's called the bald mountain as, well, mountain as well because the top, kind of fifth or a quarter, there are no, there's nothing, there's nothing gross, It's like a lunar landscape. It looks almost. like
0: Tenerife or somewhere like that. In exactly. The, yeah. So
1: you've got pine trees that go about two thirds of the way up, pine forests, and then you've got this kind of bald bit on the top. And uh, I think the story goes that it was um, Napoleon who kind of was responsible for that because he ordered the the slaves, some some slaves uh to uh, basically take the wood from the pine forest from the top of the mountain not from the bottom the mountain to make it harder for them which was obviously nice of him <laughs> um but once they started to deforest they simply couldn't get anything else to grow so um so you've got this kind of really barren landscape so you, you kind of come up through the forest which is which is hard enough because it's swelteringly hot there's very little breeze comes through because of the you know the coverage of the trees and then you come out of those in at a place called Chalet Renard, which is about seven k from the top. And from that point on, you just get absolutely blasted by the wind from from all angles. So, you know, sometimes there's one of the guys. He said, he said, hey, he, out. He, he was, he was, he was, um, hysterical. He was laughing, oh. just that, that it was just, it was, this was just so ridiculously hard. And it's like, what am I doing? And if he hadn't been laughing, he'd have broken down in, in tears or worse. But yeah, but. You know, you've know you got you're going up a gradient of I don't know 10, 12, 14 percent, which is pretty steep. And it's you know, and when that gradient is is the least of your worries, almost because <laughs> you're
0: just trying to stay up, kind
1: of puts it into context because you're just trying to keep the bike up, right? Yeah, and you're just getting absolutely battered from every side, and you are absolutely utterly shattered by this stage, anyway. Even the first way up, um, well, know, before, there's be...
0: nothing more cruel than going on, glad you've achieved that now, do it again exactly
1: um, and do it again but harder oh, uh, is true. is a thing as well because the first way up is a slightly more gradual gradient and it's longer but it's 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 easier yeah then the, then the second one is just it's just it's just ridiculously difficult and even before you get to the first ascent that day you've ridden 150 kilometers <gasps> and you've been over what they categorize as two you know significant uh mountains as well so yeah it's just and again, if you, if you try and break it down in terms of its difficulty, you just wouldn't do it. No. Um, you just wouldn't. And you, you, you wouldn't get on the bike in the morning because you'd think, how, how is this going to happen? It's just not. You look at the whole thing, you go, it's just impossible. I cannot do that. Never mind on day 12. Day one would be hard Probably enough. Absolutely. So,
0: yeah. Wiped out. Yeah. So if, you had to, if you had to pick say so one highlight and one low point in whichever order what if you can do that what what would they be <laughs> there's be so many but
1: I, I, I don't i think to pick one's really really difficult i think i could probably answer this in a number of ways i think i think the first pedal stroke and the last pedal stroke would be highlights <laughs> in their own right for obviously very different reasons you know the excitement the elation the the expectation um and then the last pedal stroke in terms of just yeah, you know, achievement and relief. I yeah. suppose they they would be two highlights. And, I did, and I did. Was a
0: bit emotional? Was it?
1: Yeah. Um, for some, yeah. I I didn't find it that way. Interestingly, so um, my I think the the two most emotional times for me one was we've just talked about Mont Bon Two, the first time we went to Bon the first ascent, I got to the top, and I and I and I started to 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 make a video actually for for for, for booths. Mm-hmm just to say look this is a really kind of you know big moment for me because there's a there's a weather station at the top of onto and it's it's just one of those images in cycling which is just you know known the world round, and to actually be stood underneath it on on the top of the board mountain you know was just the stuff of dreams and Mm. i started recording this video and and basically stopped really quickly because i just started i just burst into tears and i don't know whether it was elation exhaustion combination of all those i don't know but I stopped crying about twenty-five minutes later, halfway down the descent, because I oh, thought shoot. it was probably getting a bit, bit unsafe <laughs> trying to do that with tears in your eyes. Oh my so. god!
0: it's
1: oh, not so
0: surprising. Gosh. Yeah,
1: and I think I think it was just this this image, yeah. you know that that God, I'm here and I've yeah. got up, and you know my my personal stories. You know, seven years ago, I was still smoking twenty Marlboros a day and I was weighing in at one hundred and fifteen kilograms, and you know, there was no rhyme or reason for me to be. Up at the top of that mountain, having ridden up it on a bike, so yeah. I think I was proud of myself as well as part of that. Um, but so, so that would be absolutely, absolutely a highlight. But I had, I had made sure that I'd kind of cast in my mind and taken a kind of a mental picture of the first and the last pedal strokes. So I'd, I'd told myself I'd do that beforehand because I knew it would just all become a bit of a blur, and it still is a bit of a dream. It just, it doesn't feel like it's happened. It's quite strange.
0: Oh, um, I saw the. Um... I don't know if anybody else who's listening is so but the, the painting that your friend Bob did you who know, sells <laughs> yeah. the cards I, I mean there's so much emotion and everything in that picture it's it's an amazing amazing thing it's something yeah quite well I think
1: yeah no yeah, absolutely absolutely and uh, I don't know somehow they, they take on a greater depth than a photograph almost yeah. don't they when they're, they're painted like that so yeah so you you're asking about kind of high light low light I think I think Vontu has to be a highlight. I think you you'd, you'd mentioned Paris. For me, um, interesting. i I'd I had two really big challenges throughout. I think one was uh, I had a an off a crash. I ended up in a ditch on day two um, after a bit of uh, a bit of shenanigans in the group, as it were. And um and I and I smashed my leg up my knee. I smashed my knee up and um, I ended up in this kind of ditch full of nettles and stuff. So. For the next forty-eight hours, I didn't sleep because I had this nettle ration just you know, just awful. I spent a couple of hours each night just in a cold shower, just trying to calm everything down. But so, yeah. kind of didn't go into it with 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 all that necessary kind of sleep that you need. So, the first ten days after day two were just really hard from a physical point of view because um, every pedal stroke was was just agony.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and and interestingly, afterwards or towards the end, I, I found out I was the um support team's favourite to to quit first um, really yeah oh, so um yeah when did yeah, you find so,
0: that uh, out not during after uh, yeah
1: oh. no no once it once, I, I think it was say. on the I think it was on the way into Paris actually but but not because of me because of because of the crash I had and what yeah. what it had what it had done because they could see in the cars behind how I was pedaling I was practically pedaling one-legged for oh, for kind of the, the three or four days afterwards at least so um but you know, that's that's where the resilience comes in and, yeah. and you know one of the things is just just keep going because you know every single pedal stroke was just one pedal stroke closer to the end closer to the goal, so you know it just told yourself just you know that that every one of those was progress and um so yeah so that that was probably the 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 biggest kind of physical challenge the uh, the first kind of seven or ten days, and then what I found out in the final week is that i am. Um, Uh, I really like my family (laughs) and I really miss them. And I was suffering from some quite significant homesickness as well. So the reason I say that is, you know, you talk about Paris. Paris, for me, you know, know, the the finish line changed for me. The finish line was always Paris, but in that last week, it, it wasn't Paris. The finish line for me was the front door at home. Get me home. So the emotion was probably checked back because by the time I got to Paris, the job wasn't done. Um, the job was done when I got home, and I saw saw Susan and the kids again. So were
0: they meant to be with you? You know, obviously.
1: You yeah, yeah, know? and and you know, I forget about that, and it, and it clearly didn't help. So you know, the oh. the original plan was, you know, that um, when when I arranged to do this was the original plan was we'd probably have a couple of holidays in France before we even did the event to go and ride Vinteuve beforehand and go and maybe see the Pyrenees because I've never been there before, and you know, have a bit of a family holiday as well, and and then certainly. Um, for the uh, for the family to come out at the end, uh, and maybe even once during as well. So, um, uh, and and you know there were there were literally uh, the three of the riders who who managed to get the families to the end, but they they weren't returning straight back to the UK. They were kind of going on to do other things. So, so yeah, so that was a uh, that was a real disappointment because I think you know there was a bit of guilt felt at home in that you know maybe they weren't supporting me as well as they wanted to which is you know just ridiculous don't need to yeah. think that way but I, th- I think that played out a little bit as well so
0: There's, and so and yeah so not on the exact ride with you the psychological knowledge that they're in the same country exactly, or they're be at yeah, the end. and they're is... going to be there and they can yeah. share
1: that moment Yeah. um and i think they should have shared that moment because of how much they put into it as well as i say this wasn't a you know from my point it wasn't a one-person effort it was you know it, there, there were lots and lots and lots of people that invested you know in a small way and in a big way and and the family in a, in a in a really really big way so it's just a desperate shame that they couldn't be there um but uh, but you know i suppose you know we go back to seven days before we actually started we we weren't going so yeah. the fact that we were there in at all was 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 a minor miracle
0: and then that moment, obviously, that you go through the door and, and the knowledge that you'll be able to walk the dog again. <laughs> oh day. yeah, it's joyous. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> to get to putting the bins back out again.
1: Exactly. That's yeah, yeah. And really I took great pride in doing that for for, for a few <laughs> days
0: afterwards. <laughs> um, so, so you're back. You're back now. Um, like, if you're looking back and reflecting, do you think you've learned anything as a leader, or anything that you can you're taking back into your role, or? or made you think differently about yourself that, that's affected how you do your role
1: um yeah i, I, I do and whether it, whether it's about learning or whether it's about just reminding and yeah. kind of putting a putting a, a kind of a, a, another accent on some things i mean there's a there's a whole raft of stuff and i think i think you know that you using kind of sporting experiences sporting analogy team analogy or team experiences you know from sport and bringing those into business is 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 a, is a pretty common thing to happen and it and it's it's pretty easy to understand why when you've been through an experience like that so you know i don't, i mean i mean the first thing is if you go back to some of my objectives you know just see just seeing how far i could push myself and mm. it just reminds me that yeah you know, and anything is possible anything is possible once you choose to commit to it um and that's something again you know from a from a boost perspective you know if i go back to some of the conversations Edwin Ross and I were having in the very early days, when you know there were changes at at board level, and you know we we had to not reinvent the business, but get the business back on track. And and you look at this kind of this prospect, this this challenge in front of you, and you just wonder how on earth that's going to happen. And I think what what once you decide that you you know once you can see a an objective, once you can see kind of an end point as it were, or a, a destination, and you then commit to it, you. You can achieve anything, um, is is one thing. So, you know, um impossible is is something that should should be taken out of our mm. our dictionary, as it were. Um I think I, I reminded myself a lot, I mean, I've talked a lot about the difference between objectives and strategy. Yes. Strategy is how you get something done, objective is what you want to get done. So if I think about me going through the first day. Uh, I was enjoying the ride. I was kind of up there, middle of the pack, exactly where I wanted to be, really happy with stuff, you know, chatting away, riding at the same level as, you know, the kind of the average bunch in the middle. So I I was really happy and thinking, yeah, you know, I can do this for another 20 days. And then following, you know, coming off the bike on day two, all of a sudden, you know, the way you were going to go about riding the thing has to fundamentally change. So I then spent the next literally 10 days, hanging off the back of the group um you know just surviving but um you know I didn't go there to ride in a certain way I went there to ride to Paris so I suppose that would you know that was the objective how I did that you know that can change as long as you reach your objective so it just reminded me that you know you've just got to you know be clear on your objective we talk about improvise adapt and overcome uh, is something that I think it's the navy seals in the US use as a kind of a mantra and and it absolutely is. And every day, particularly with the knee injury, with one of the sports therapists, we were trying something a little bit different just to see whether we could get a bit of pain out the knee and make it a bit more comfortable was all. It wasn't going to be pain-free, but more comfortable. Um, and we got some stuff right. We got some stuff wrong. And,
0: Sometimes you know, we, you we just we just things. kept
1: trying to do different things to find, you know, to find a solution. And then, you know, very fortunately, it was actually the day after Mon Bon 2, was probably the worst it had been in the morning. And then the following day after that, it almost just disappeared overnight. And I don't know what it was, and neither does Ria, who's a sports therapist, but it did. Um, so interestingly, actually riding the bike in the final kind of seven to ten days was my best experience on the bike. But in fact, from a kind of a mental point of view, it was the worst experience because that's when I was having the most challenges kind of in my in my head. So.
0: And I suppose it's that bit about looking at the end goal always. And you're right about which way you get there. You might need to change which way you get there, how you get to it. Yeah, um, But you've also absolutely. got to accept that, that there are those low points and low points are going to be part of it. But and you've got to
1: expect those. It's yeah. just, you don't know what they're going to look like, what they're going to no. feel like, what colour they're going to be. You, you, you don't know. And, that, and that's where that kind of improvisation and, and adaptation comes from as well. I think the other thing that, sorry, I, I probably haven't covered is, is just about breaking the task down as well so mm-hmm. I think I've talked about this earlier about if you just contemplate the kind of the, the total scale of the thing you you, you just wouldn't start mm-hmm. um, but you know one of the one of the mantras in the group is just left foot right foot that's all it is left foot right foot that's all that's all we need to do and you know breaking it down so every day we'd have a we'd have a quick break in the morning, we'd have half an hour for lunch um, on the roadside we'd have a quick break in the afternoon. So, the first breakdown was just get to the next stop um with a you know a caveat of trying to enjoy yourself while you're doing it as best you can but um so but then you know you go from that and, and at some stages it was literally just pedal a hundred more yeah pedal a hundred more and 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 you you were getting down to that level and um you know we got to the point where it was kind of seventy rotations sitting down 30 rotations standing up particularly when you got some of these kind of monster climbs up into the mountains which can go on for 20 kilometers it was just a case of keeping on going and it was right okay i'm going to get to that next bend and i'm going to see how i feel and you get to the next bend and you go okay i'm going to get to the next bend and i'm going to see how i feel so chunking everything down just breaking everything down to its smallest possible component part so you can almost cheer the progress as you know as often as you can, and yeah. give yourself a pat on the back for those last hundred okay. rotations or that last bend that you've achieved, or the next kilometer sign going up the mountains, or whatever that might be. Is constantly give yourself the opportunity to praise yourself because, yeah. and, and to cheerlead yourself. You probably can't actually do the pat on the back; you'd probably fall off if you did that. But, um, that. but, but, but doing that, it was absolutely fundamentally essential to to completing that that you know the whole thing um yeah it was it was quite incredible just how kind of minute and 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 kind of um uh kind of specific some of those uh, some of those uh, those those smaller goals those smaller kind of targets set yourself uh, what they look like
0: and the next thing you know you put them all together and you end up completing it
1: exactly yeah and and you know if you, if you take any kind of any of the big mountain climbs individually you know you'd, you'd be 14 or 15k from the top and you'd be thinking you, you know everything in your body is telling you so i can't do this i'm gonna get in the car i've had enough i'm not doing it you've then got to go back to these kind of predetermined kind of uh kind of stimulations that you've set for yourself you know the reasons why you're doing this why you've got to keep on going you you know you you, you go back and you use those but combination of that and then breaking the task down the next thing you know well I'm two kilometers from the top blimey I can do this I can do this I'm I'm you know I'm 15 minutes away from the top this is you know this is awesome and then and then you get there (laughs) and and then the terrifying stuff starts because you've got to go downhill so um... uh, yeah (laughs)
0: you've got to look at your next uh, objective no and I think you're right from a leadership perspective that is the especially when the the mountain sometimes seems kind of you know impossible to climb or the problem is too big it's it's break it down. What's your end goals? What are your yeah. objectives? And so. I think
1: even within that as well, and it's kind of tied into that kind of anything is possible, is, is whether, you, whether, you, whether you think it or not, you can always give more. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's right from a physical and a mental point mm-hmm. of view. You. You've always got more you can give. So I remember thinking back to what I went in the time management course once. And one of the things he said there was if you've, um, if you've not got enough time to get everything done, take more on. You're thinking, what what kind (laughs) of weird kind of witchcraft is this? And but but you can what what it does is it it, it basically just it it just adds to get more out of out of you as an individual because you you then have to adapt, you have to change, you have to organize yourself in a different way, you have to do something to get more out of yourself.
0: Which you can see over COVID, really. When you know suddenly, what
1: a great example, absolutely, yeah.
0: You know, we we achieved. We think we can't do certain things, it's going to take us so long, and you put pandemic on and the next thing we've all achieved you know things Absolutely. like collect and yeah. and like, we all
1: dug so so you know yeah. we all dug so and if you think about you know the things that we've tried to make important to us like looking after our our co-workers and our colleagues and our communities and and that the way we just did that in abundance when when you think that kind of that um environment would be much more about Kind of retrenching and looking after yourself and making sure you and your direct family are all safe and and all the rest of it. And then we've got these incredible people going out and serving communities, looking after their own colleagues, you know, and putting themselves almost last.
0: Yeah,
1: just simply incredible, and that's a great example of where you just find more from yourself in the situation. Yeah. So yeah, it's a great example.
0: Um. So this is a obviously a be your best self at Booths podcast. Um. What what not is it? Not the best. Thing... Is it not the be your best
1: cyclist self at that... booths? <laughs> well, Sorry. Maybe, yeah.
0: What would you say this event has taught you about what being your best self at booths means to you personally?
1: Um, I think the first thing, and, and I've certainly touched on it, is that um, I often thought that if I wasn't happy at work, I couldn't be happy at home, and I've now realised I've got that completely on its head, oh. and I now know that if I'm not happy at home if I'm not my best at home I can't be my best at work and and I think what it's taught me is the the pecking order yes and it's something that I probably regret not having understood 20 years ago so uh, so that's the first thing Uh, I think I've I've very clearly worked out I hadn't I hadn't thought from because I've spent over the last 10 years particularly I've been kind of either been traveling up to Newcastle or traveling over to Preston from Harrogate to work, uh, I've spent quite a lot of time away from home. But they've been kind of, you know, a night here and a night there. It's not been kind of four weeks of a block. And uh, I wasn't in any way ready. I hadn't even thought that that might be a problem. And it just taught me that I, I just love my family and I love being around them. And and I need them to be able to function. I need to know that we're all good for me to be good at work. So I think the pecking order, as I say, changed fundamentally in my mind um i'm I'm also i am quite an introverted character in the sense that i'm not you know i'm not shy and retiring and and it's not that i you know i I don't like um social occasions but social occasions do wear me down they do take my energy um but what it also taught me that whilst i am introverted um i really do like people i like the company of people i like knowing they're there yeah um and and i've told myself all the way through kind of covid that actually me sitting in a little room here at harrogate suited me down to the ground and i think for a little while it did but um i've become slightly unsettled this last six months and i think i've realized now why that is which is i, I do need you know the company of of others uh which i didn't think uh, i did so much That that's certainly something i've i found get, out it's,
0: it's getting that balance right and rebound yes
1: it is happens. yeah and yeah and uh yeah and i think then the um probably the other thing it's probably you know we talk about being the good grocer yeah. um you know and 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 every single one of us any anybody that's been involved in the tour of booths or organizing raffles or rounders competitions or whatever that might or riding bikes down at manufacturing and whatever anybody that's been involved in this kind of push to raise money and, and, and awareness for cure leukemia is a good grocer in my book and 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 i think it, it, it's vitally important. It it's become more important to me that we we spend more time on this of, of kind of role modelling what that looks like and giving everybody and anybody the chance to be the good grocer. I'm 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 I've said I'm I'm privileged, I am and I'm fortunate to be in a position where uh, having spoken to Susan I could then ring Edwin and say, Edwin I'd like to go off for nearly four weeks and ride a bike for charity. Is that all right? And and I've got an amazing boss who response was if I was 15 years younger I'd come with you go for it but I'd like anybody in the business to think that however big or small the challenge if that challenge is about you know giving back to communities about sorting you know supporting worthy causes I'd like to think they were in an environment which would if possible be able to you know to support them in, in in any way they could so I think Understanding what the good grocer means and making sure that everybody in the business understands that as well is is something I've probably in my own mind committed to do more of, you know, this side of the event than than, than beforehand. So,
0: well, that I mean that's amazing. I think really as a, a kind of a, a, a sum up and end to the uh, to the um, chat, I think it, it, it's 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 a probably good a good place for us to finish. I think what you know everyone out here would agree that you know what you've done is a amazing but i think also what you've taken out of it is also really inspiring and and if if like you say it can help you know get other people to kind of think at how they might give something back or how they might write to that right to that next challenge whether it be from a you know charitable event or from a leadership event or from just you know getting over that next kind of hill in your life then, then then that will be great so Look, Nigel, thank you very much for spending um, some time with us today. And, um, yeah, it's been great talking to you.
1: Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I hope whoever does listen to it gets some um, enjoyment out of it.
0: Okay, thank you. Take care. Thank you.
1: Bye. Bye.